I'll invite you to turn again in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We uh, started a series some weeks ago, a few weeks ago, on uh, that we've entitled The ABCs of Faith. If you want to know where I got that title, I stole it directly from Brother Hagin. I really had it in my heart to, uh, to talk about some of the basics. Um, I'm, uh, uh, my intent is to cover the, the three foundational points of faith, what faith is. We did that for two weeks. We could do that forever. But we did two weeks on what faith is, found out a lot of different things about the subject of faith. This, uh, this week and next week, I'm going to teach on how faith comes. And then the following two weeks, I'm going to teach on how to use your faith or how to turn your faith loose. After that, I think what we're going to do is we're going to start combining them all together and talk about faith for a little while once we get the, the groundwork laid. Um, we saw some things about faith. We used uh, as a text scripture, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. Paul's writing by the Holy Ghost and he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, the gospel means good news, the good news of what Jesus has done, in other words, for it is the power of God. Most people think the power of God is something that comes down from heaven. Most people think that the power of God is something that you get, that uh, that occurs if you pray just right and get, sing just the right song, get just the right atmosphere, or whatever the case may be, and then God will manifest or show His power. Paul said by the Holy Ghost that the Word of God is the power of God. Now I say the Word of God is because that's where we find out the good news of what Jesus has done for us. That's the only way you're ever going to know what Jesus has done is through His Word. You're not going to know God through your feelings. You're not going to know God through your thinking. You're only going to know God from what the Bible says Jesus has done for us. So we could uh, insert or uh, interchange for the phrase gospel of Christ. We could put word of God in there because that's where we find out the good news of what Jesus has done. And notice he says that that's what is the power of God. That book that you're holding in your lap or that I hope you're holding in your lap. You should be anyway. Hold your Bibles up. As John Osteen used to say, wave and make the devil mad. Well, that's a beautiful sight. That word, not, now not the book, not the pages, not the, the ink and the, the paper, but the words that that book contains is the power of God. It's the power of God unto salvation. Notice the word salvation there. Now, we brought this out. Dr. Schofield, who was uh, the foremost uh, Baptist scholar in his day, has in his Bible a little footnote that says this word salvation implies five different things. Rescue, deliverance, to make safe, to make sound, and to make heal, to, and to heal or to make whole. Now, that's pretty good for a Baptist. Now, now, don't get me wrong. He didn't preach that. He didn't preach healing. He had a reason why he believed that healing would have been done away with and all that kind of stuff, normal Baptist doctrine. But in his footnote to this, this verse of Scripture, Romans 1.16, he had that truth in there that this word salvation is an all-inclusive term. It means rescue, deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and to heal. So it's notice what Paul is saying. I'm, I'm glad the Holy Ghost knew what the word meant before he told Paul to use it. He said the word of God, the good news of Jesus that we gain from the word, is the power of God to rescue to deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and to heal. Now stop and think about it for a minute. How many people do you know? I hope you don't fall into this group, but how many people do you know that are looking for the power of God to heal them from some other way except the Word? 
How many people do you know that are looking for the power of God to deliver them from whatever the case may be, maybe it's financial hardship or whatever it is, whatever situation they're in, they're looking for the power of God to come through prayer, for example, or some other means other than what the Bible says the power of God comes from. The Word of God is the power of God to rescue, deliver, make safe, make sound, and to heal or to make whole. Now, who does that belong to? Who's it going to work for? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. To everyone that believes. Now, folks, that's where the rubber meets the road right there. Paul wrote to the, to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, I believe it's verse 2. He's talking about the Jews of the Old Testament. And he said, for unto them was the gospel priest as well as unto us. In other words, God revealed his plan in the Old Testament through types and shadows that pointed to and were fulfilled by Jesus. And he said, for unto us was the gospel priest as unto them, but it didn't profit them because they didn't mix faith with it and what they heard. They didn't mix faith with the things that they heard. That's what this is saying right here. The the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Believing is a choice. Believing is a choice. You can choose to believe or you can choose to reject. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, meaning in the word of God, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. In other words, as you grow in faith, the righteousness of God is revealed in a greater and greater manner or measure. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The first thing that we pointed out about the subject of faith is faith is a lifestyle. It's not just something that you pull out when you have need of something. It's not like the spare tire on your car. When one goes flat, then you use it. Faith is something you're supposed to live by. It's a lifestyle. And notice it's the only lifestyle that God requires. The just, those that are made righteous by the blood of Jesus, those that make Jesus the Lord of their lives, in other words, are required to live by faith. They're required to live by faith. I think we've made this comment before, but it certainly bears repetition. If faith is the thing that, that God requires, Hebrews eleven six says faith is the only thing that pleases him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If faith is required as the lifestyle that God demands of his people, and if faith is the thing that pleases God, then how can you overemphasize faith? That's one of the criticisms against us so-called faith people. I think everybody that's saved is supposed to be a faith people, isn't it? Aren't they? But that's one of the criticisms leveled against us. All those people, all they do is talk about faith. Well, duh. It's what God demands and it's what pleases God. Why wouldn't we talk about faith? What are we supposed to talk about? Social issues? You better learn to use your faith when the things going the way they are in this country. Now, we talked about what faith is. We found it was a spiritual force. We found that faith was of the heart. We found that it was necessary. Faith was the, the necessary ingredient to please God. We found that faith was the only way that you could receive from God. Today, I want to talk to you about how faith comes. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 10. Now, uh, there are three different words used, three different terms that are used regarding faith and faith coming and so forth. Romans chapter 10 speaks of faith coming. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says faith is a gift. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says faith is dealt. 
Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. Well, it's not talking about salvation is not of yourself. Everybody knows that. It's talking about faith is not of yourself. In other words, you don't give faith to yourself. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Faith is a gift. Well, what causes God to give that to you? See, if we just stopped with that, then we'd say, well, yeah, some people have a gift of faith and other people don't. And, and, uh, and you know, God's the one behind it. And so, uh, woe is me. I don't have the strong faith that other people have. Now, that's not what he's talking about. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul says, For I say through the grace of God given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think more highly than he ought to think. Now, King James says not to think of himself, and that's certainly true. But those words were added by the translators. God doesn't want you to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but he doesn't want you to think more highly of anything than you ought to think. For I say, through the grace of God given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think more highly than you ought to think, but to think soberly. The word sober means not moved by emotions. To think soberly according, if you're not supposed to think according to your emotions, what are you supposed to think about? Think toward or think based upon. According as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So we see God gives faith, and we see that God deals faith. Another way of saying the same thing. But the real question is, how does faith, how is faith given, or how is faith dealt, or how does faith come? Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. In other words, faith is given, faith is dealt, and faith comes. All three interchangeable terms. By hearing the word of God. Now, folks, you know as well as I do that that means something more than just listening to. Hearing can't just mean listen to. Because if listening to something made the difference, then everybody would be able to have the greatest measure of faith just by putting a a tape player, putting a tape on the tape player or listening to an iPod or something like that concerning preaching, and that would be it. No, it takes a decision on the part of the hearer. There's a difference in listening to and hearing. You husbands know that very well. Your wives tell you all the time that you don't hear her. You're not listening. Well, you're there when the words are spoken, but you're not paying attention to it. You're watching TV or whatever else is going on, right? Sometimes people turn their ears off. That's why we've just about gotten to the point where we do away with announcements because nobody listens. We're wasting our time. Everybody turns their ears off. So you know there's a difference between listening and really hearing something. You know the difference between being in the presence of words spoken and really taking them to heart and making the decision to to accept them and, and focus on them, right? That's what it's talking about. So then faith comes by hearing, the decision to hear the word of God. And the word of God is the only thing that can produce faith. It's the only thing that can produce faith. Jesus said when he was tempted by the devil in Matthew chapter 4, After he had fasted for 40 days, the devil came and said, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, he's saying just like food is necessary for the natural body, the physical body to survive, the word of God is necessary for the spirit man, the man on the inside, the heart, as the Bible refers to the spirit sometimes, for the spirit of man to survive. The Word of God is the only thing that can fit your spirit. It's the only thing that can feed your spirit. Now, unfortunately, Christians spend most of their time, most Christians spend most of their time feeding on and focusing on everything else except the Word. And as a result, faith is not produced. 
Because faith can only come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you're feeding on scandal, you're not going to grow in faith. Some people, some Christians, bless their hearts. Oh, Pastor Mike, have you heard the latest? No, and I don't care to. I don't keep up with the latest. One of the real blessings that I consider that God put me on the West Coast is that we're not on the way anywhere. And the fact that we're not on the way to anywhere means I don't have a lot of traveling preachers coming through telling me the latest. And that is a great, great blessing. You live somewhere in the center of the country and everybody's talking about everybody. I go back to some meetings sometimes in Tulsa or something like that. And it's, a, it's amazing to me how many preachers, people that are supposed to know better, are talking about what this guy did or what that guy did or what this guy didn't do or whatever. You can't feed on other stuff and grow in faith. Because the word of God is the only thing that produces faith in your heart or in your spirit. The word of God is the only thing. I had, uh, we were on radio for a while <clears throat> before we started this building project. We were on a radio program that, uh, <clears throat> uh, well, what was it? I think it's a 15 minute program, five days a week. It cost us a ton of money, but we had a lot of exposure and, and, uh, it helped people know that our church was here and so forth and gave us an opportunity to teach in the process and, uh, get the word to some folks. <clears throat> but the, uh, the radio station that we were on didn't agree with our, our, our message, didn't agree with what we preached. And so they would give a guy, uh, pay a guy a bunch of money to get on the radio three hours a day and preach against what I had preached on that morning. And it was, uh, we thought it was just, you know, we didn't realize what was going on to begin with. But after a while, I mean, literally, he would take what I preached in that morning program and he would take three hours and talk about why it's not true and why we're wrong and, and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> well, after a while, I got to thinking, you know, it's not right that they're paying somebody to preach against me when I'm paying a lot of money just to be on their program or on their station. So I talked to the guy about it, talked to the, the programming director, and I said, look, because their big thing is we're a family here. They'd give their call letters, oh, the, the whatever. Well, I might as well tell you who it is. It's KBRT. The KBRT family. Well, I didn't feel like much family. I felt like the, you know, the stepchild that wasn't wanted. Except for the money. And uh, and so I talked to the programming director and, and he said, well, he said, you know, we want to have a, a mix of all different things on here. We don't want to be just one kind of station. We want there to be a balance. And as soon as he hit on the word balance, boy, he liked what he said. Because after that, everything was balance. We want to have balance. We want to have balance. Well, I listened to balance about 10 times. And I finally said, look, where you're making a mistake is you think a balance is a little bit of faith and a lot of unbelief. Balance, as far as the Christian life is, is concerned, is hearing the truth of God's word all the time. That's the only balance there is. I said, one of us is wrong. And if you're going to do a service to the Christian community, you need to get rid of whichever one of us is wrong. Oh, well, we can't do that. We're a family. <laughs> uh, no, you're an idiot. <laughs> so our time, on t our time on radio came to an end sometime after that. Not really because of that. But I think that's the way a lot of Christians live. They think a mix of faith and unbelief is a balance. In their Christian life. Folks, that's not a balance. That's just confusion. Which explains why so much of the church world is powerless. 
Because faith is the only way to activate the power of God. Now, how does faith come for salvation? Turn with me over to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. The 11th chapter of Acts is where Peter is called on the carpet for what happened in Acts chapter 10. Now, if you remember the story, Peter goes up on the rooftop to pray. He's waiting for, for lunch to be finished. He goes up on the rooftop and, and um, has a vision, falls into the trance and has a vision. And in this vision, he sees a sheet coming down from heaven with all kinds of beasts, both clean and unclean, according to the law of Moses. And a voice comes from heaven. And the Lord speaks to Peter and says, rise, slay and eat. And Peter says, no, three times this happened. And Peter said, not so, Lord, no unclean thing has ever touched my lips. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to break the law of Moses. Well, finally, the Lord speaks to him and says, don't call unclean what I have cleansed. Peter comes to realize later that Jesus isn't talking about food you eat. He's talking about people. That the, the clean and unclean beasts represented people. Because at that moment, when the Lord spoke to him and said, three men are downstairs looking for you, go with them and don't ask any questions. Those three men had been sent from Cornelius's house because Cornelius had sent an angel. They wind up going down to Cornelius' house the next day, preaching Jesus to them, and the Holy Ghost falls on them. They get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost all at one time. Now, the Jews back in Jerusalem have a hard time with this because Peter has gone under the Gentiles. So Acts chapter 11 is where Peter is rehearsing the story. And I want you to see what Peter said that Cornelius told him about this appearance of the angel. We'll start in um, uh, verse 11. Chapter 11, verse 11. And behold, immediately there were three men already come into the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit made me go with them, bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, those were Jews, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel. This is, a, this is Peter relating Cornelius' account of the angel, the vision of the angel. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Verse 14, who shall tell thee words. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thou thy house shall be saved. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and thy house shall be saved. Salvation comes by hearing words. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, let's start in verse 5. It says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Here's another Gentile city. He preached Christ unto them. What does that mean? That means he tells about Jesus coming to the earth, dying on the cross, and being raised from the dead. We would understand that to be the meaning of preaching Christ, wouldn't we? Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them. And many take with palsies and were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Skip with me over to verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, we don't know if this just means baptized into Christ, meaning saved. Or if it includes baptism in water. It doesn't really change the story one way or the other, but you can't say for sure which one it means. Verse 14. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, 
They sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized. Again, we don't know if that just means they got saved or if they were baptized in water too. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the phrases that are used. Notice it says in verse 5, Philip preached Christ unto them. Notice in verse 12, it says, When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 14, it says that Samaria had received the word of God. What is it saying? It's saying salvation comes from words. Salvation comes from words. Now, remember, we'll use Dr. Schofield's definition of salvation again, because the word that's used for salvation throughout the Bible is the word sozo, S-O-Z-O in the Greek. And it means rescue, deliver, make safe, make sound, and to heal. All five things. Are you uh, familiar with... uh, um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Let me read something to you. Peter, speaking by the Holy Ghost, said, writing to the church, it says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, by the word of God. Where's that incorruptible seed comes from? By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You know what that's saying? That's saying you're saved. You're redeemed because of words that you heard and believed. Faith for salvation comes from hearing words. What about the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Where does faith for the baptism of the Holy Ghost come from? Well, the Bible tells us different things about the Holy Ghost. There are five different examples for five different instances, events, if you will, where people, either a group of people or an individual, were filled with the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts. Three of them identify that people were filled with the Holy Ghost because somebody laid hands on them. We didn't finish reading there in Acts chapter 8, but it says that Philip, uh, that uh, Peter and John, rather, went down to Samaria after Philip had gotten the people saved, and they laid hands on them to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And they were. The other two of the five events where people were filled with the Holy Ghost is where the Holy Ghost just fell. Acts chapter 2, and then Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius' house. Peter's preaching about Jesus and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost falls and they get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and begin to speak with other tongues at the same time. Well, my experience with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I grew up in the Baptist church. Now, the Baptist church, Southern Baptist church, Birmingham, Alabama, Southern Baptist church that I grew up in really didn't say too much about being filled with the Holy Ghost until a certain thing happened and and some young people started getting filled with the Holy Ghost. They went to another church, part of the the, church, uh, the Baptist church youth group went down to another church and some way or another, I don't know exactly what the situation was, wasn't part of the group, but a few of them got filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with other tongues. Well, the church almost split over it because now we've got a problem. The pastor can't hold on to his doctrine that tongues have passed away without throwing these kids under the bus. The problem with that is the kids' parents had money. So these are not people you want to leave, want to lose out of your church. And so it became a real issue. I mean, you could see people struggling with it. The deacon board, part of the deacon board wanted to run this family out of town. The other the people on the finance committee said, well, let's just take things slow and easy and see if we can't work this out. So it, it created a real problem. Well, long story short, they wound up just shutting the kids up. They wound up convincing these kids, two teenage kids, wound up convincing them that what they had was of the devil. 
And so they vowed never to do it again. And, and, and their lives didn't take a positive turn because then they're in the position that if we thought this was God, but we're really deceived of the devil, how are we ever going to know God again in our lives? So they wound up just kind of going off the deep end, to be honest with you. Morally, anyway. And so it became something that everybody in the community, not just people in the church, but everybody in the community knew about. And so the, the official position of the church was that tongues had passed away. What the apostles did in the book of Acts was of God, but what people were doing in the present day when it came to speaking with tongues was of the devil. And that was it. That was the hard and fast line. It took them a little while, and they tried to massage it to get there and didn't lose the families, didn't lose the money out of the church. But that became the church's line. And so everybody knew about it. Well, it wasn't a couple of years after that that my mother got filled with the Holy Ghost. She went to some meeting somewhere, some ladies' prayer group, something like that. I don't know exactly where she got it. But she went somewhere and got filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, that turned my world upside down. Because my mom came back immediately. It was just he, her and I at the house. My brother was already married at the time. And my, she and my dad were divorced. So she came back home. And I don't know if it was that day or the day after. But, but I noticed there is a light on her. I've never seen her look so happy. I looked at her and I thought, something has happened. What is going on? And so she sat down. She said, Mike, I've got to tell you something. We've already, I had always been real close. Always shared a lot of things together. And so she said, I've just got to tell you something that happened. She said, I got filled with the Holy Ghost and I can speak in tongues. Want to hear me? (laughs) Just about like that. Now, the only thing I know about speaking in tongues is it almost split the church and it's up the devil. She without me saying a word, she starts speaking in tongues. That scared the bejeebers out of me. I said, stop, stop, stop. What are you doing? She said, I'm speaking in tongues. And I said, stop, stop that. I don't want to hear that. And so she was kind of, you know, crushed a little bit. And I said, how do you know that's of God? She said, because the Bible says so. Well, I didn't know the Bible. You could have told me the Bible said anything. I wouldn't know. I had my little devotion that I do every day, but there was nothing in there that would ever, ever teach anything. And so I didn't know. She said it was in the Bible. So I thought, well, okay. So I sat back and I just watched her. And for about a week, the first week, I noticed that she was a totally different person. Man, she's happy. She's going through the house singing. And I also noticed something else. I noticed that all of a sudden there were books about the Holy Ghost that were laid open on the tables (laughs) with underlines. And I thought, I don't know what in the world she's got in mind, but I don't want to know anything about this. And so I wound up a week, 10 days later, something like that. I wound up telling the youth minister at the Baptist church. I said, uh, my mom got filled with the Holy Ghost. She's speaking in tongues now. He said, without any hesitation, without any, asking anything, he said, oh, Mike, that's of the devil. Well, I knew better. I, my first thought was, now, isn't that interesting that she'd get something from the devil that would make her happier than she's ever been? <laughs> get something from the devil that make her love God more than she's ever loved him. Get something from the devil that help her live a better Christian life. I didn't know stuff from the devil did that. And so I knew immediately when he said that. I, I, I don't know what I expected him to say. He was right in line with the, with the church policy. But I knew immediately when he said that, you don't know one thing in the world about what you're talking about. Because I know my mom's not of the devil. And say it again and we'll fight over it. Now I'm thinking, no, I didn't say it. 
But that's exactly what I'm thinking. So I knew right off, I knew right away, this group is not going to tell me anything that I need to know. Because they don't know anything about it. They know less than I do. They think it's of the devil. And I've already seen better. So I started looking around when nobody was home. When mom was in the other part of the house, I'd glance over at those books. <laughs> one day when she was gone, I snuck one of them into my room. And I took, it was one of the little book by Brother Hagin. And I thought, turn with me over to Luke chapter 11. And I came to the place where I realized, all right, well, what she's doing is of God. There's no place that the Bible says definitively that it's not for us today. There's no place that uh, that the Bible says that it's not continuing on, that it will ever cease or, or at least not cease in our time period. There is coming a time where it will cease when we get to heaven. You won't need to speak in tongues in heaven. But then I talked to somebody else. I talked to somebody from the full gospel church. Now, this was somebody that was uh, just a regular attender. They weren't a, a staff member or anything like that, but they, it was an adult. And so I asked about it. I said, what is this thing about being filled with the Holy Ghost? And he said, well, it's a special gift from God. And I said, do you have to speak in tongues? And he said, well, some people do and some people don't. I said, well, how do you know if you're going to or not? He says, well, you pray and ask God for it. And if God gives it to you, then, it, then it's for you. And if he doesn't give it to you, then it's not for you. Well, looking back at it now, I didn't know at the time. Looking back at it now, he knew less than the Baptist people did about it. <laughs> and so I thought, well, all right. Well, if it's something that's, that's for some people and not for other people, then, you know, I ought to know if it's for me or not. And I don't have any sense that it's for me. So let's just forget it and move on. But one of those books drew me in. One of those books by Brother Hagin drew me in. And this was the scripture that drew me in. And that was Luke chapter 11. I had read this before. I had seen it, but not really paid any attention to it. You know, the Bible talks about the Holy Ghost being the unction on the inside of you that will teach you. I didn't know one thing about spiritual things. I knew God lived on the inside of me. I knew I talked to him. I knew he talked back to me sometimes. But I didn't know anything about developing in spirit. I didn't know anything about being led by the Holy Ghost. I didn't know anything about anything. But when this guy told me that it's for some people and not for other people, then I said, well, all right. Then, since I don't already know it's for me, seems like if it would be something God wanted for me, I'd know it. So since I don't already know that it's for me, it must not be for me. And over the next, um, oh, I don't know, maybe 24 hours, Luke chapter 11 came back to me. I didn't even remember reading it. But I had went back later around and found it in one of those little books that I had read at, at the house that my mother had left open. Brooke by Brother Hagen. And here's what it says. Let me read to you the passage of Scripture. Verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give, will he for or instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Now, folks, I want you to realize those three things represent Hardness of heart or things that are of the devil. Stone instead of a piece of bread. You wouldn't do that to your children, would you? Good parents wouldn't do that. The second thing he says, instead of a fish, will he give him a serpent? A serpent always represents the devil. Or if he asks an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? That's another uh, type of the work of the devil. Literally, what Jesus is saying is you can't ask God for something good and get something from the devil. I didn't know that at the time. 
It's clear to me now, but I didn't recognize it at the time, even though I read those verses of Scripture. But verse 13 is the one that really stood out to me. This is the word that the, that the Holy Ghost brought from the inside of me. And again, remember, I'm thinking, well, the Holy Ghost is for some people and it's not for some people. Some people are going to speak in tongues. Other people are not going to speak in tongues. And if I was going to speak in tongues, I'd know it. I'd just know it some way or another. God's not hitting me us. I'd just know. Verse 13, if you then being evil, the word evil just simply means carnal. It means natural, human. If you know how to be good parents in this life, and if you being evil or natural or carnal or human know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, we could argue about whether he's talking about the Holy Spirit that you receive in salvation or the Holy Spirit that you receive in the infilling. You can argue about that either way. But since he didn't identify which one that he means, he has to mean everything related to the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, and I don't know who would know more about the Holy Spirit than him. Jesus said, God will give the Holy Spirit in any form that you ask for the Holy Spirit, to them that ask Him. In other words, He didn't say that God would would identify whether or not it was for you if you asked. He said that He would give Him to you. Well, I saw that, and I realized. Uh, I say I saw that. What I'm talking about is that, that uh, Scripture came up from the inside of me. I'm thinking all the time that the Holy Ghost is for some people and not for other people. In other words, some people will speak in tongues and other people won't. It's a special gift just for certain ones. But the word that I had read really hadn't even committed to memory, hadn't paid a lot of attention to it when I read it before, had to go back and find out later how did I know that verse of Scripture and found it in one of those books that I read that my mother left laying around. That was the word that the Holy Spirit brought from the inside of me. You remember the Bible says the Holy Spirit will... Uh, bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I said. Jesus, Jesus said, whatsoever things I have said to you, the Holy Ghost will bring it to your remembrance. That's the work of the Holy Ghost, to guide you into the truth. Well, he's trying to guide me into the truth of the Holy Spirit. And by that, I mean the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit and speaking with other tongues. And so after that scripture came up, I started asking about it. I ignored it for a few hours or, you know, the first several times that it came. And finally, I realized that there was something that my mind didn't know. I realized there was a difference between what's coming up from the inside of me or coming from somewhere. I didn't know anything about the inside, but it's coming from somewhere and it's not coming from my head because my head doesn't know it. Folks, there's such a thing as revelation knowledge that bypasses your mind. In other words, There is a mind of your spirit and a physical brain. Those are two separate things. Your spirit knows things your head doesn't know. And so I started, I stopped and I I recognized, wait a minute. These words keep coming up. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Where is that coming from? Where is that coming from? Now, when I asked the question, not until, but when I asked the question, There were these words that came up. The Holy Spirit spoke to my spirit. Again, I didn't know anything about that or I knew how it worked. Didn't even know God would do that. But the Holy Spirit spoke to my spirit when I said, where did that come from? He said, Luke 11. Now, what I mean by that is who's talking to me? But the Holy Spirit answered me with the scripture. I said, who said that? He said, Luke 11. I thought, who's Luke 11? I realized that was a chapter in the Bible. I got it out and I found it. 
And when I saw that, I thought, well, that answers the question right there. The Pentecostals don't know any more than the Baptists do. At least not the ones I talk to. So I said, it comes down to me asking for it. Now, as I said, the scripture talks about five different things. I didn't know this, this at the time, but perhaps you do. There are five different events or times, occurrences, where people were filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 2, the 120 were filled because the Holy Ghost fell. Acts chapter 8, they went down to Samaria and laid hands on them. Acts chapter 9, Paul was filled with the Holy Ghost when Ananias came in and laid hands on him. He received a sight and got filled with the Holy Ghost at the same time. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius' household was filled because the Holy Ghost fell. Acts chapter 19, Paul preaches Jesus to them and lays hands on them and gets them filled with the Holy Ghost. You got two experiences, two events where the Holy Ghost falls uninitiated by anything except either the preaching or the, the, the time period, Acts chapter 2, the day of the of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost was to be poured out. The other three experiences were somebody laying hands on them. Well, I didn't know anything about people laying hands on you. And if I had known those things, then I would have thought, well, uh, how am I going to find somebody that believes this to lay hands on me? But instead, Luke chapter 11 tells you you can receive it by faith just by asking God. So I got in my room, knelt down by my bed. And I said, all right, Lord. Luke 11 says that because you're a good father, you give the Holy Spirit to them that ask. So I'm asking you right now to fill me with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. What are you supposed to expect? What does a Baptist boy expect when you pray that prayer? I didn't know what in the world was going to happen. Well, I realized after a few moments, I realized nothing's coming down from the ceiling. So that must not be it. I didn't feel anything. So that must not be the way it comes either. So I almost just gave up on it. I just almost counted off to, well, I don't know what I'm doing. So too bad for me. And all of a sudden, and it was the smallest thing, it was the slightest thing, it was the, the most imperceptible of inklings that I've ever had. Somehow or another, I just had some kind of urge, just the slightest urge down on the inside to speak in a language that I didn't know. Now, I don't know how you explain that. How do you explain to somebody that you'll have an urge to say something you don't know how to say? But I'm by myself in my bedroom. Dealing down by my bed, it's dark. Not worried about making a fool in front of, fool of myself in front of anybody else. Nobody there but me. Hoping God's there, but not too sure. And I just had the slightest urge to start speaking in tongues. Now I know how to, I know how to rephrase it now. I know what to say about it now, but I had no idea then. And I just started saying something. And when I started saying something, after about I don't know, 10 seconds of speaking in other tongues. The devil was right there on my shoulder, and he said, that's not God, that's just you. Well, I had to agree. Yeah, you're right, that is just me. So I guess I didn't get it. And it took me some time later till I realized that I'm the one that's supposed to be speaking in tongues, that God's not the one that speaks in tongues in me. I'm the one that does it. The Holy Ghost gives me the utterance to speak, but I'm the one that does it. And so for several months, I did not use, I failed to use what I already had. Now, knowledge came. Somebody explained to me how it worked, showed me in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak. Who began to speak? 
The Holy Ghost? No, they did. They were filled. They began to speak. And when I realized that, when the knowledge of that truth came, I then opened my mouth, started speaking in tongues, been speaking in tongues ever since. The devil robbed me of it for a couple of months because of lack of knowledge. But my point is this. How did faith come to receive the Holy Spirit? For me, it came from these words. One verse of Scripture. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Faith to be filled with the Holy Spirit comes the same way that faith to be saved comes, and that is from words. Now, for me, it wasn't spoken words. It was written words. But it's still the Word of God. How does faith come for healing? Look with me to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Paul's ministry. They go to a certain town named Lystra. Verse 8, Acts chapter 14, verse 8, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. Now it says he's a man, so he's got to be over 30 years of age. Doesn't say a young boy, doesn't say a teenager. It says a man. People were recognized to be men at around age 30, so he's got to be full grown. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked all of his life, never had taken a step. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. Now, you may have in your Bible at the top of the page something like Paul heals a cripple. But the fact of the matter is this man was healed because he had faith to be healed. How did he get faith to be healed? Here's a one-time situation, first-time situation, never before heard anything about him being able to walk, never heard about Jesus before, hadn't walked all of his life, not a single step, not a single day of his life has he ever walked, and God turns this situation around. How? Because he had faith to be healed. Now, how do you go from zero, no faith, no inkling of ever being able to walk, to leaping and walking? It didn't take him a long time to get there, folks. It it took him the length of a sermon. Now, I don't know how long Paul preached, but it took him the length of a sermon to get enough faith to change his life from at least 30 years of not having walked. Folks have this idea that faith is some hard thing to get. Apparently not. Notice it doesn't say God did something special for him. It says he had faith to be healed. The same heard Paul speak. Well, what did he hear Paul preach? Notice in verse 7 it says, and there they preached the gospel. That sounds a lot like Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to rescue, to deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and to heal to everyone that believes, both Jews and Gentiles. And there they preach the gospel. Now, some folks, bless their heart, they'll say, I've heard preachers being asked this question. Do you believe in divine healing? No, we just preach the gospel. Well, they're not preaching the gospel Paul preached, obviously. Because Paul's gospel, the same gospel that he said that the world would be judged by, the same gospel he said if anybody preached anything other than this gospel, let him be accursed. Paul's gospel, as revealed to him by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, contained healing. Or else the man couldn't have had faith to be healed. 
Again, Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If he's not, if he's hearing about water baptism, he's not going to have faith to be healed. If he's got faith to be healed, that means of a necessity he has to have heard about healing. And the Bible identifies, the Holy Ghost identifies Paul's preaching that contained healing as the gospel. And there they preached the gospel. This impotent man, this crippled man, heard Paul speak. Speak what? The good news of what Jesus did for us. Spiritually, financially, and physically. And it produced faith in his heart to be healed. Paul saw that faith in his eyes. He probably saw his face light up. He probably saw the same kind of thing that I saw change in my mother when she got filled in the Holy Ghost. She didn't have to tell me one thing was different. I looked in her face and I thought, something has happened. Paul probably looked at this guy and saw the difference of the change in him from when he first began to preach to as he continued on in his sermon. It doesn't even say Paul finished his sermon, as a matter of fact. It said this man had faith to be healed. Paul probably interrupted his message and says, stand upright on your feet. And the man leaped and walked. Now, folks, here's why this is so important. The word of God, the words that come from the knowledge of the Bible, that come from the preaching of the Bible. Words have the power to redeem somebody from sin. It has the power to fill them with the Holy Ghost. Those words have the power to heal their bodies. That words, Those words carry the power to do everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Words. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 4. You remember in John chapter 6 and verse 63, Jesus said this. He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The words are spirit and life. The words that Jesus gives us, or we might say it just as a general category, the word of God. Notice it says that the words are spirit and they're life. In other words, these words are spiritual containers of life. The word of God is a spiritual container of life to rescue you, to deliver you, to make you safe, to make you sound and to make you whole. Did you find Luke chapter four? Notice in verse 16, Jesus is speaking in the synagogue and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. I want you to notice what Jesus said that he was sent to the earth to do. He was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, this word poor doesn't mean poor in, uh, financially, although that could be the result of being poor spiritually. He's talking about the poor, talking about mankind who has been separated from God by Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. That's the poor that he's talking about. He's talking about those that were made poor in spirit by spiritual death overtaking them. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Notice it's the gospel. Words. Words to those that are spiritually bound by death, sin and death. Words. Now, the church is used to talking about sin and death concerning forgiveness of sins. And that's not all it means. The problem with the world is not sin. The problem is they're bound by death. The Bible says this, it says about us before we were saved, it says we were, who were dead in trespasses and sins. The problem was not the trespasses and sins, the problem was we were dead. The problem with the unsaved is not that they're sinners. The problem is that they're dead. The reason that they're dead is because Adam and Eve 
disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, and therefore spiritual death overtook the world. Naturally, the world is going to be sinners. The unsaved are going to be sinners because they are dead. It's their nature to sin because dead people sin. Adam and Eve's sin brought forth death, and the consequences of everything that we know of is the curse on the world. Bondage to lack and poverty is a result of sin in the earth. It's the, it's a result of spiritual death ruling and reigning. Sickness is the result of spiritual death that's ruling and reigning on the earth. Separation from God, which is what the unsaved, the condition of the unsaved, is a result of spiritual death having ruled and reigned on the earth. That's what he's talking about. He says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. In other words, those who are bound by spiritual death. It would include financial poverty, being poor as we think of it in a natural sense, but it includes a lot more than that too. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to preach the gospel to the poor. Why does he, why did he say he's anointed me to save the unsaved? Why doesn't he say to impart life to the spiritually dead? Why doesn't he say it in some other term? Because it's important that it's said this way because the power that sets the dead free and brings them into life are through words. The power that brings the sick into healing is through words. That's why he's anointed to preach, to speak words, because the word of God is the power to deliver mankind. Can you see that? He's anointed me, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Again, brokenhearted doesn't mean brokenhearted like we think of. We use the term brokenhearted in our uh, English vocabulary to mean emotionally distressed. He's not talking about emotions. He's talking about a breach in spirit, a break in spirit. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, there was a break in the spiritual makeup of man. He went from being alive unto God, made in his image, to being separated from God, ruled and and dominated by death. That's what he means, to heal the brokenhearted. Now, healing the brokenhearted would certainly mean physically healing the sick because physical sickness came about as a result of that breach in spirit, that break in fellowship or in union between man and God. So when he says he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, he means to heal mankind in every way, physically as well. Can you see that? How is he going to do that? It says he's sent to do it, but how's he going to do it? Well, let's keep reading. He has sent me to to heal the brokenhearted. He has also sent me. That's what this, this is the, the, uh, the grammatical construction here means he sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Number one. Number two, he sent me to preach deliverance to the captives. How are captives delivered? Through preaching. Through preaching. Through words. Again, we're looking for power to come from heaven some way or another. We're looking for power to come as a result of a real strong anointed prayer. Deliverance comes through words. Now, captives to what? To anything. God doesn't want his people bound by anything. If something has held you bound, if something has held you captive, the answer is in words. 
Your deliverance is in words. Because words are spiritual containers of life. The Word of God is a spiritual container of life. So all you've got to do is find the words that cover your situation and you can be free. He sent me to preach deliverance to the captives. He's also sent me to to preach recovering of sight to the blind. That's what and means, doesn't it? Preach deliverance and recovering of sight to the blind. How do the blind receive their sight? Through words. Can you see where we've made a mistake? We've been looking for somebody who's got some special power. Oh, if we could just get to to the celebrity preacher. Somebody's got a special anointing. Well, thank God that there are people that have special anointings. I appreciate the work that they do in the body of Christ. But Jesus said that recovering of sight comes through words. He said deliverance for the captives comes through words. So even if you find somebody that's anointed, if you're not believing the words of God that they're speaking, it's not going to work for you. What else has he sent you to do, Jesus? To set at liberty them that are bruised. The word bruised means crushed. The Bible says Jesus is our high priest and he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's a compassionate high priest and he's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I can just hear the compassion of God when it says, when Jesus says, I've been sent to set at liberty those that the devil has crushed. Well, crushed how? In every way. I'm sent to set them at liberty. How are you going to do that? Notice the next verse. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You know what that means? The acceptable year of the Lord in Judaism was considered to be the year of Jubilee. Those those came around every 50 years. Every 50 years, things were restored. If you lost a piece of property that was in your family, you get it back after 50 years. The year of Jubilee is when everything goes back to a restored condition. If you're in debt in year 50, your debt is canceled. Jews figured that out and worked it out where you paid your debts off before the year of Jubilee, usually. But whatever your condition was, when that 50th year, that year of Jubilee came around, everything is wiped out, everybody starts over again. It's a picture of Jesus restoring us to our original position with God. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord is to speak words that identify now is the time. When Jesus was here on the earth, it was not the year of Jubilee. He came in between those 50-year periods. But to preach the acceptable year of the Lord means you don't have to wait for a time on the calendar anymore. The acceptable year of the Lord for restoration is when Jesus comes. So how is he going to set at liberty those that the devil has crushed? By preaching, by speaking words, now is your time of restoration. It's all through words, folks. It's all through words. Everything you need comes from the word of God. It doesn't come from a special prayer. It doesn't come through somebody with a special anointing. It doesn't come from the power of God falling from heaven. It comes from the word of God that you have access to 24-7. Words are the answer. Words are your answer. That's why we'll keep saying, for as long as I'm alive, I'll keep saying, find scripture that promises you what you need. Find scripture that covers your case. 
If it's healing you need, find scriptures on healing. If it's financial blessing you need, find scriptures on financial provision. Whatever it is in your situation, whatever you are dealt with or whatever you're dealing with as a result of spiritual death having come into this earth, find scripture, find words from God that cover your case. Because the word of God is the power of God to deliver you. It's the power of God to set you free. It's the power of God to heal you. Words are everything. You ever thought about you ever thought about the power of words? People are deceived by words. People are made to think things that are not true by words. I'm not just talking about words of the devil. I'm talking about words that other people will say. Relationships are affected by words. You can be thinking that everything's going fine with you and your buddy, and then somebody will tell you that your buddy did something that might not even be true. You can believe what you, those words you're, that, you're, that you're told about your friend and start hating your friend. Words deceive you. Words bring fear into your life. Well, in the same way, words bring the truth. Dispel deception and dispel fear. Words are spiritual containers. They can, they can contain good things or they can contain evil things. Words are neutral. The word of God is not neutral. The word of God is a container of life. Every word that God speaks. One scripture is enough to set you free. One scripture is enough to set you free. Now I want to close with this. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. The Old Testament book of Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. Here's what God told Joshua to to do to be a success in his life. Well, since God's not a respecter of persons, if it will work for Joshua, it'll work for you and me. Here's what he told Joshua about being successful in completing the work that God gave him to do. Now, God made him the leader of the children of Israel, but that doesn't mean he has to be a successful leader. Just because God calls you to something doesn't mean you're going to be a success. What you do with what God calls you to do and how you handle yourself regarding the word makes the determination of whether you're going to be a success or a failure. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law. Now, all they had were the five books of Moses. So we could say that the book of the law represents the word of God, couldn't we? We've got more than they had. So instead of the book of the law, let's interpose the word of God. This word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Notice that speaking has something to do with meditating. Meditation is not the Eastern religion stuff where you sit in a lotus position and hum. And the word meditate seems to freak out a lot of Christians because they get some kind of Eastern meditation, Eastern religion thing in mind. That may be their only experience with it. That's not what it's talking about. Eastern meditation teaches you, or Eastern religions teach you to meditate by emptying your mind. Seems to me a lot of Christians have a leg up on that. But meditating as far as God is concerned, as far as the Bible form of meditation, is not emptying your mind of anything. But it's controlling your mind to think on certain things. This book of the law, this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. Well, if it's if something doesn't depart out of your mouth, that means you have to keep saying it. 
Because as soon as you say something, it's left and departed your mouth. So if it's not going to depart from your mouth, that means you're going to have to say it again and again and again and again. Why? Because words are containers. And the more you hear, especially hear yourself say what God's word says, it becomes a part of your spirit. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Now, nobody wants to admit this, but here's the simple fact. You believe you more than you believe anybody else on the planet. You can have 10 people tell you you look good and you can tell yourself you don't look good that day and believe that you don't look good. I don't know why the wives ask us as husbands, how does this look? What difference does what we say make? You've already decided. We all believe ourselves more than anybody else. That's why when you hear yourself say what God's word says, you're going to believe that more than anything else. God knows that's the way that it works. That's why what you say regarding the Word of God is everything. This book of the law, this Word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. In other words, keep speaking the Word of God. That's what meditating is. Speaking the Word of God again and again and again. Now, not just in some formula manner or fashion, but to say it and think about what you're saying. Say. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. What does that mean? That means God cares enough about me to make sure that my needs are met. Think about what you're saying. Let yourself hear it so that it sinks down into your spirit. This word of God, this book of the law, shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now, the rest of your time is yours, but day and night belong to meditating in the word. Speaking the word should be something we do day and night in order to get it down into our spirits, to make it a part of the real us. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night for what purpose? That thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. So meditating is, uh, uh, alone is not enough. But meditating is the foundation for being a doer of the word. For then, after you meditate... By speaking the word constantly, after you do or act on the word of God and whatever it tells you to do, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Notice God's not even the one that makes your way prosperous. You do. Why? Because the word of God is the power of God to prosper you. Now, whether you want to be prosperous in the area of healing, whether you want to be prosperous in the area of finances, whether you want to be prosperous in the, in the area that you work, or whatever the case is, you can prosper in whatever area it is by speaking the word of God and meditating on it day and night. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I like to amplify it on this last uh, phrase. It says, then thou shalt deal wisely in the affairs of life. The word of God will make you wise in this life. The word of God will make you wise in this life. Why? Because the word of God is the power of God to deliver you, to set you free, to put you over, or to heal your body, whatever you need. The word of God. Words are God's power in action. Amen? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If you're hearing yourself speak God's word constantly, you're building yourself up in faith oh, just step by step by step by step, day by day by day. Now, here's something you need to know. Well, you can close your Bibles. I'm done. 
Why don't you close your Bibles? That's the rule. I have to finish then. Let me tell you a little phrase that uh, I'm not sure where. Well, I heard it first from Brother Hagin. I'm not sure where he got it. But here's something you need to know. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Here's why the word of God is the power of God, because it reveals God's will. When you can find God's words on a subject, whether it's healing, whether it's finances, whether it's peace, whether it's uh, success, whatever it is, whatever area you have need of, you find what God's word says, you've just found God's will in that area. And faith begins where the will of God is known. You remember the leper in Matthew chapter 8? The leper came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe you can heal me if you just will. Jesus instantly moved forward with compassion, touched him and said, I will be thou clean. Only time anybody ever came to him and said, we're not sure if you will. And that one time, Jesus responded without hesitation, saying, I will. He didn't pray. He didn't say, let me take a knee and check with God. No, his will is always to bless people, to set them free and to prosper them. Always. He never had to check, is it God's will for this person? Because God's will is the same for every person, to be free from the results of spiritual death. So faith begins where the will of God is known. God's word reveals his will to you. And once you know his will, there is nothing that can stop you from receiving what God has for you. That is the number one problem, the number one objection that everybody has, no matter what the area is, healing or whatever, that is the number one objection that people have. They don't know if it's God's will for them. Well, how are we going to find out? The answer is in the Word. That's why the Word of God is the power of God. Think about what that means, folks. The only thing holding you back from everything God has for you is your lack of knowledge that He wants it for you. Once you find out what he wants for you, all you have to do is reach out, take hold of it. That doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight. But the Bible says through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. In other words, holding fast by speaking the word of God day and night. Acting on what it tells us to do. The devil's not big enough to keep God's plan from coming to pass in your life. He's not big enough to keep the the things that Jesus purchased for you from being realized in your physical body or in your life. That's his big secret. He's not strong enough to stop it. That's why he tries to make all these threats. He tries to convince you with words. His words come from thoughts and sometimes through other people. He tries to convince you with words that you can't make it when God's word says Jesus has already purchased it for you. God's word is his power. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you, Father, that there's enough power in one scripture to fix every problem we've got. Father, we thank you that since the entrance of your words give light, As we meditate on the truth of your word and meditate on your word that covers our situation, we thank you, Father, that your will is revealed to our spirits and we are able to take hold, just like Abraham did, take hold of the promises no matter how impossible they seem. Thank you, Father, that we can be strong in faith just like Abraham was, fully persuaded that what you had promised you can perform and giving glory to you. Thank you, Father that nothing is impossible to them that believe. Nothing, therefore, is impossible to us because we are believers. Thank you, Father, for the privilege to walk by faith. 
In Jesus' precious name. Now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, please. We've covered a lot of ground today on the subject of faith and how faith comes for salvation, for healing, for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If there's anybody here today that you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Word of God that says that Jesus was wounded for your transgressions on the cross, He paid the price for your sins, for your well-being in every area. The Word of God that says Jesus was raised from the dead as the guarantee that you could have eternal life. The Word of God that simply says that if you'll believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and are willing to confess with your mouth Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you shall be saved. That's enough to change your life. It's enough to break the power of spiritual death over your life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody looking around. If you're here this morning would say, Pastor Mike, pray for me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm willing to believe God's Word and what it says about what Jesus did for me. I want to receive my salvation today. If that's your desire, I want you to raise your hand just right where you are. We'll pray for you. We'll lead you in a prayer that will cause you to be born again. Yes, sir, I see you back there. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Are there others that will join this one, gentlemen? Pray for me. I'm ready for a change in my life. I'm ready to turn my life over to Him. All right, I have another invitation. If you're here this morning, you may maybe you were in the same situation as I was. You don't know or haven't known that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is for you. But you see in the Word that because God is a good Father, He gives the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him. We'll show you how to ask Him. We'll show you what to expect. We'll lead you into the fullness of the infilling of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. We'll show you how it works. It's a simple thing. It's just a simple step of faith. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor Mike, I know I'm a child of God. That's a prerequisite. I know I'm a child of God, but I've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, and I want to receive that today. Would you raise your hand, please? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand so that we'll know who we're praying for? Anyone? Pray for me, Pastor Mike. I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. All right. Heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. I only saw one person. There may have been others, but I only saw one person raise their hand to be born again. I want to talk to you, sir. If you and only you will open your eyes and look up here at me, I'd like to speak to you for just a moment. And that is this. We want to lead you in the prayer that will make Jesus the Lord of your life. But we want to do it in a way that we know that you receive what you came for. So what we're going to do, if we ask you to come up to the front, you might be conscious of people looking at you and might feel embarrassed and so forth. So we're not going to do that. We're going to ask you to go to a private place, a prayer room. It's a little room right off the lobby here. There's a gentleman that will show you where to go, show you how to get there. If you have somebody with you, you want to go, want them to go with you, just tap them on the shoulder. I'm sure they'd be glad to go. Pick up your belongings, whatever you came with. There's a gentleman over here to my right that has his hand up right by the doors. He's going to lead you to that place of prayer. Go with him now, if you will, please. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 
Blessed be the name of Jesus. Let's all stand in the congregation, if you will, please. Let's pray for our brother as he goes to the prayer room. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Jesus said that those that come to you, you would know wise for no reason, no way, not at all. Cast them out or turn them away. Therefore, Father, we thank you for leading our brother into salvation. We thank you that his life changes from this point forward. We thank you, Father, for making him new, for causing him to realize and know for certainty that he's a child of God before he leaves this place. Thank you, Lord, for doing a great work in him. Now, Father, we thank you also for the faith that we've exercised as a church family for any number of things. We thank you that our faith is working because your word cannot fail. Thank you, therefore, Father, that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Thank you that we're redeemed from the curse of the law. Thank you, Father, that all of our needs are met according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you're working your perfect plan and will and purpose in our lives. By faith in Jesus' name, everybody that agrees with that, say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. We love you.